So we will stay right there where you were just at in the book of First John, or Epistle of First John. Uh, beginning there at the end of chapter 2, uh, carrying on through uh, the beginning half of chapter 3. Uh, so, uh, there in, ooh, that was strange, uh, chapter 2, verse 28, we'll start, uh, but before, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us here together tonight uh, to sing praises to you. Uh, to hear your word uh, preached. Uh, I pray, Lord, for your help now as I stand, uh, incapable in myself, Lord, uh, and wholly relying upon you. Guide us, Lord. Instruct each and every one of us, myself included, with your word tonight. Uh, Conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, Help us all to examine ourselves, to know if we are truly in the faith. These things we ask in Jesus' holy name. 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 read, Now little children, abide in Him, so that when He is manifested, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone also who does righteousness has been born of Him. Uh, here in these ver- or verses here, concluding the second chapter there, uh, sort of where we concluded last time I preached, um, John is laying out a distinction, as we'll see throughout, uh, really, the book of First uh, John here. John lays out a distinction between the children of God and the children of the devil, and again here points the children of God to, in light of, uh, in light of what God has done for us, uh, in light of God's mercy, uh, that we would live in such a way as when we stand before Him, we will not be put to shame. Uh, Of course, the Christian, uh, if we're truly in Christ, we do not fear uh, uh, the final day of judgment as the wicked do. We will not be condemned in the day of judgment, but the Christian's works will still be judged. Uh, We ought to live in a way in light of that, knowing that uh, our works in the flesh, in this world, will be judged. And ultimately, here, uh, rounding out the chapter and leading into the ideas there in chapter 3, uh, we see uh, John uh, beginning here to, to give us a separating line between the righteous and the unrighteous, those who are in Christ and those who are out, uh, that we know that Christ is righteous. And therefore, everyone who does righteousness, who lives in that way of, of habitual faithfulness to God, uh, is born of him. Those who um, model that in their lives uh, give give evidence of that. Uh, now, in into chapter three, verse one, we see uh, John open this chapter, which uh, chapter breaks we added. But the the opening here, John louds God in, in wonderful praise and thanksgiving for for the love and mercy that He has shown to us uh, when we we. Pause and see the privilege and great mercy and kindness which God has given to us. Uh, we as Christians in Christ, we're not just, uh, it's been mentioned several times, we're not just brought to a neutral position with God. When Christ pays our sin debts, we're not just brought to a neutral position. And we're not even brought to a position where we're, our sins are paid for. And now we have a, an act of righteousness in Christ, which we do. And, you know, just maybe here and we're, um, friendly toward God now. 
But no, it's much greater. The child of God is joined to God now, made a child, uh, born of Christ, born again in God. We're given uh, a high, high gift of, of being a child to God, being adopted. And this adoption is is the, the sort of the, the glue that holds together our sanctification and our justification, uh, wherein we're immediately justified before God and considered righteous and holy because of the work of Christ when we trust in Him. And we're positionally sanctified in that moment, and that sanctification continues to work itself out in our lives. Uh, we can fail and fall when we mix and mingle those two together, those two doctrines together when we confuse justification and sanctification. But the great cement that holds those two together and keeps them from mixing and mingling is that of adoption. Understanding that we are already justified. We are already possessed of God. And we therefore live in obedience and faithfulness. Uh, We see this uh, in several places in Scripture. Particularly, we look at Romans 12, uh, 17 and 18. Uh, which says, well, I've turned to Galatians instead. Romans twelve seventeen and eighteen, or twelve through seventeen, uh, or Romans eight twelve through seventeen. Uh, Paul writes, "So then, brothers, we are under obligation. Uh, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these." are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, in order that we, uh, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him as well, we have this uh, too in Galatians four through seven, or Galatians four four through seven. Uh, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem or to save those or to redeem those who are who were under the law, uh, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, Father." Therefore, we are no longer a slave, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And last uh, reference here I'll give is uh, in uh, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The great separation then is this, that we are, all who are in Christ are born again, regenerated by the work of God the Holy Spirit and indwelt now by that power of God, by, the, by, the, by very, God Himself indwelling us. The very uh, life that we have now is through the Holy Spirit indwelling us. This, this change in nature um, is ultimately what we'll see is the, the, the dividing line between the unbeliever and the believer. Uh, that this uh, change in nature that comes through the work of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, 
changing us, bringing us to faith in Jesus, conforming us to His image. And continuing on in that second half of verse 1 there, uh, we see that this this separation, this this reconciliation rather with God, uh, creates a fundamental separation from the world within us. Uh, We are now reconciled to God and now we are alienated from the world. Uh, We switch sides in the great war which we were a part of our whole life. Uh, We were fighting the losing war along with Satan, along with all this world against God, our Creator. And by His grace, He, the the great King who we had wronged, reached down and brought us to Himself. The King adopted the rebel and made us His. Therefore, we're still in the conflict, still in the war, but now we war against those who are our former masters, those which used to own us. And for this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Uh, know here in the intimate sense, the, the intimate knowledge of one. Uh, this has to do with love, with, with fellowship, with, with communion. We have no communion anymore with this world if we are in Christ. And because uh, the world has no communion with Christ, our Master, our Savior, our Lord. John continues on in verse 2, We are God's children now, and it has not been manifested as yet what we will be. We know that when He is manifested, we will be like Him. Because we'll see him just as he is. Uh, John further delineates this separation from the world, I believe here, by, by looking to the end of the Christian. Uh, juxtapose, we can say, to the end of the unbeliever. Uh, we as Christians, we do not fully understand as yet what we are going to experience in the eternal state. Uh, we know some that, that Scripture has given us, but... but we see here that when Christ comes, uh, the imperfect that we see now, the, the little sanctification we experience now, the, the um, things which we may not fully understand will be revealed in that day. We'll be fully sanctified in that day. We will go from uh, our lifelong war against the sin that troubles us uh, within and without to in that day never again troubled by sin. Uh, in that day, Christ as the perfect, uh, perfect man, fully God and fully man, will transform us, humanity, to be a redeemed humanity. We'll look like Him in all of His perfect humanity. Uh, John here is not saying in some way that we will be uh, made to look like Christ in His deity. We never could be. But we will be made to look like Him in His perfect humanity. He as the, the, head of, uh, the head of humanity. The, the head, the, our, our federal head, as it were. Whereas we were once under Adam, and receiving what Adam gave us in His uh, federal headship, we now are in Christ, and we look forward to that great day where we receive from Him uh, glorification, perfect glorification in the day of eternity. 
And John lays out for us that this hope that we have uh, in in Christ, this, this great truth in living eternally with Him, Um, worshiping, praising Him throughout eternity, Uh, that in light of this great hope, uh, the Christian marches on in sanctification, marches on in faithfulness, um, grows in the grace and knowledge of our God. Uh, The one who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He, Christ, is pure. And so it's the... The, again, the love of God that He has showed to us, again, compels us forward. Um, again, drives us on in love and thankfulness to our God. Drives us on in, in seizing the prize before us in obedience and faith to Him. Uh, drives us on to be more like Him, to be sanctified. Set over against this, though, we see in verse 4, Everyone who does sin also does lawlessness, iniquity, rebellion. Sin is lawlessness. The one who does sin, who lives in sin, whose life is marked by sin, is one who is rebelling against God, who is living in ongoing rebellion against their Creator, We read further on in verse 5, and you know that He was manifested in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. In Christ there is no sin. He is perfect. He is holy. And He came to put away sins, to do away with sins. For the Christian, He has done that for us. We, We now are free from the condemning power of sin, from its authority, from its dominion. And we are now children of God. And we look forward again to that beautiful day where we'll be free from even the corrupting influence of sin and the temptation of sin. But we we, we can uh, hear for a moment Paul's and define sin. Sin would be anything that is uh, violating the commands of God, the the order of God, His, His created order His created purposes, His holy commands. Sin is everything antithetical to who God is. God is just and righteous. He is good. He is the measure of all that is good. And therefore, sin is the measure of all that is evil. Sin, in all of its forms, are rebellion, hatred against God, and violation of His commands Therefore, the one in sin is a, rebel, is a rebel against God. The one who would uh, abide in sin, as John says here in verse 6, the one who abides in sin, or no one who abides in him, sins. No one who sins has seen him or has come to know him. Um, now, the word uh, here we, we have for sins is not meaning we fall into sin, but it's talking about an ongoing uh, pattern of your life. Um, but, but the, the one who had claimed to be a Christian yet is married to their sin, who lives in their sin, who is uh, constantly plotting out how they will sin again, how they will um, make provision for their sins, how they will uh, from day to day maybe hide and mask their sins so that they seem like a very uh, pleasant individual to be around. But inside, uh, in private, they are... Uh, 
They are a devil. I know this personally firsthand. This is the sort of the early chapters of my life. Uh, living in sin, hiding my sin, pretending like I'm uh, some kind of a, a saint abroad while a devil at home. Uh, but God knows the hearts of men, of all men. No one who belongs to him, no one who is his, continues on in sin, lives in sin, and is a servant and slave to sin. Those who would be Christ uh, must be must be separated from the world. As we'll continue on and read more, uh, here in verse 7 we see, uh, Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Uh, that it is an inevitable product of being born again, of receiving uh, new life in Christ, that we would be obedient and faithful to Him, that we would do the things that are pleasing to Him. Our life would be modeled by that. Again, setting these two over against one another, the unbeliever lives continually and constantly in sin and in the service of his flesh, of his God, which is his appetite, while the Christian lives a life in light of the love and mercy of God in faithfulness to him, seeking how he can serve and please his God, the one and only and true God. So we can see that in the Christian, there must be a resemblance to Christ. We must bear that family likeness. We must, <clears throat> in some way, uh, have the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Um, even, even the most uh, young and weak Christian will produce, in some measure, uh, fruits of obedience, fruits of repentance in their lives. But the enemy of God will continue on in sin rampantly, unrepentantly, faithlessly, wickedly, continually. And we read on here in verse 8, the one who does sin is of the devil. The one whose life is marked by sin is of the devil. Because the devil sins from the beginning. The Son of God was manifested for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. <clears throat> so again, we, we look to the work of Christ, the, the destruction of Satan's works. When Christ came, He completely crushed the kingdom of Satan. He broke the arms of Satan upon the cross. His power is broken. His Strength is diminished and done away. And yet there are many who serve under Satan still. Uh, the world is absolutely full of those who are servants of the prince of the power of the air. And just as Satan will be judged one day soon... Uh, so will these who follow after their master. 
Uh, But the Christian uh, set over against this in service to Christ, again, longs for the day of restoration, a day where we will um, never again sin and fail our God. And continually we see this dividing line, this separation between the world and Christians um, borne out more and more here. And ultimately we see that there are but two kinds of people, two nations. There is Adam's race and Christ's race. There is uh, the children of God and the children of Satan. And John here uh, declares how we can know the difference between the two of them. Uh, Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. uh, Because God's seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Uh, This is a tell, tell sign for the Christian. Is that when we sin, it grieves us. When we sin, it causes sorrow. When we sin, it causes disgust. Uh, the child of Satan can live continually in sin. Uh, it is their life's blood. It is food for them. They drink it down like water, but these things are bitter poison to the Christian. Uh, when a fish can live out of water, when a man can live in water, then a Christian could live in sin and not be affected by it. Uh, ultimately, a Christian may slip into sin, may fall into sin, may stray for a time in sin, uh, but ultimately there is the grief uh, that, that by God's grace we have, that, that, that mercy of, of having chastisement while we're in our sins, uh, to the point that even some Christians die because they continue on in sin. But these... This is the uh, um, uh, telltale factor for us. Is if you can live in sin, you are not in Christ. If you can, if you can be confronted with your sins, uh, sins of murder, of adultery, of, of, of sinful passions, hatred. If you can be confronted with your sins... Um, and still say, yes, I know that's a sin, but I will do it anyways. Uh, If you call yourself a Christian and have that mindset, stop. You are not a Christian. You are of your father, the devil. And John makes it clear here. uh, Those who have been born of God, they cannot keep on like this. The, The reasoning is... That we have been transformed. There is a new nature in the Christian. Uh, Just uh, as I mentioned in the analogy before, a fish, uh, a normal fish can't live outside of the water. And a Christian cannot live in sin. We will drown in sin. We die from it. And if you are happy and content to live in it, you are outside of Christ. You do not know Christ. Sin being antithetical to who God is, it is therefore 
antithetical to the new nature He has given to the Christian. Sin is poison to the Christian. And for us as Christians then, as we've seen throughout uh, this, this passage, the... <clears throat> Pardon me. The love of God, again, set before us, as John has in other places here in this epistle, is set before us as the, as, as the driving factor for the Christian in obedience. Uh, we, we see we have this new nature which God has given us. We see the mercy and grace that God has bestowed upon us, that He has made us His own, made us His people, and therefore that compels us in, in, in reaction to what He has given us, in reaction to what He has done for us, in love and mercy to live obediently. <clears throat> uh, the, the unbeliever, the child of Satan, does not have this, does not have this, this drive, does not have this, this, this fuel for him. Love is so much the, 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 the key the fuel for the Christian life. That if we love Christ, we will be obedient. And if we are lacking in obedience, so the Christian who has fallen into sin or the Christian who is straying in sin, it is because we are not loving Christ as we ought to. We have taken our eyes off of the crown. We have taken our eyes off of the cross before us. We've, we've, we've lost it. We've lost the, we, we've, we've strayed. <clears throat> this love and mercy that God gives us that, that, that compels us on to faithfulness to Him. Uh, as we have that, as we are transfixed by that, as we behold the cross of Christ, obedience becomes easier. And as we stray away from the cross, as we focus on other things, as we are enamored by the things of this world, obedience becomes harder. And so for the Christian struggling with, say, sins of adultery or sins of lust of the eyes, sins of... Um, very popular one uh, amongst many men and women is that of pornography. Uh, sin of looking and lusting with the eyes. Uh, but not just that, there are many, very many respectable sins out there like love of money, uh, sins of, <clears throat> of backbiting, sins of maligning others, sins of ingratitude, sins of covetousness. We call covetousness now ambition. Uh, ambition used to be a bad thing. Or I guess rampant ambition did. But these, these sins, if you are falling into these, um, the, the, the cause behind it is that you are not focused on the cross as you should be. You're not looking to the cross of Christ. You're not enamored, transfixed, astounded by the grace of God. And you must return to the cross, return to the foot of the cross where Christ has forgiven you, has given you grace, and be astounded once more. 
Uh, Think of the passage in the Gospel of John uh, toward the end after Peter's fall. Uh, When after Christ has fed the disciples, he begins to speak with Peter, restoring Peter to him. And he begins by asking Peter questions. He asked him two times, Simon Peter, do you love me? The, The Greek there being agape. Do you agape me? And Peter's response the two times is, uh, Lord, I phileo you, uh, a lesser love. Uh, likely Peter, un, uh, knowing his weakness, saying, I know I don't love you perfectly, Lord. I know I don't love you as I should. And those two times he asks, do you agape me? Do you agape me? And he gives instruction to Peter following that, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And then the third time, <clears throat> the, master asked, uh, the master asked Peter, Simon Peter, do you phileo me? Do you, this lesser love that you've been mentioning, do you love me? Do you love me a little? Do you love me this much? And Peter's response is, Master, you know that I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. Christ's response then is, again, feed my lambs. Uh, love as the, the, the motivator for us as Christians. <clears throat> that as we see that Christ has been merciful and gracious to us, loved us with that perfect love, that agape love, we are... made to love Him. And though our love is weak and impure, it's not perfect. And likely we will never love Him uh, in that, that good measure in which we're instructed in Scripture with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength this side of eternity. Uh, we now, transformed by the work of God, do love Him. And then the outflow of that as the Master Um, says to Peter. Uh, Those three times, every time Peter answered, the response uh, to Peter's love was, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep to the people of God. Christ commands us, if you love me, keep my commandments. The question, do you love me? And we answer, yes, Lord, we love you. Then keep my commandments. Serve me in this world. Obey me. Grow in holiness. Grow in sanctification. We see here in verse 10, uh, John uh, summarizes this here. uh, What we've read through through the third chapter here so far. Uh, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested, uh, made clear, made apparent, made abundant, um, abundantly manifest, abundantly evident. Everyone who does not do righteousness, uh, everyone whose life is marked uh, by no righteousness, whose life is marked by no holiness, whose life is marked by no sanctification, no love of God, no obedience of God, uh, those whose life are marked by that, is not of God, as well as the one who does not love his brother. 
the, as we're sort of, I guess, uh, winding down, uh, the application I would give to us as believers in Christ uh, maybe uh, us struggling with sin, um, possibly struggling with the, within the throes of your soul of whether or not I am a Christian. We're examining ourselves. <clears throat> uh, the, the application to look to Christ, again, look to the cross, be astounded by the cross, be astounded by the love and mercy of God, His unending mercy and kindness to us that he would they would even condescend to us he gave us mercy grace and love which should never have been looked for we we deserve none of it we're struggling with sin look to christ as our model and look to christ as the object of our love and affection This will push us on in sanctification and be not content in this world. Uh, Rest in Christ and His mercy and grace for us, but don't be content with a little success, with a little little satisfaction, a little bit of the promised land. Uh, We're studying in the book of Judges in my Sunday school class right now, and uh, there's so much parallel there with the Christian life. The people of Israel got in, got some portions of land, and then they stopped pushing They stopped trying to take the promised land. And God stopped giving them the promised land. Instead, they received trouble from from without and within enemies all around them. They they were uh, tempted to to idolatry. And they intermarried with, with those in that nation there. Instead of pushing them out of the promised land, they became just like the nations who were there before them. So with us as Christians, God has sanctified us perfectly and positionally in Christ, and we do have to be sanctified. We have to grow in sanctification. We shouldn't rest on our laurels thinking that I've, I've, I've crested the hill, I'm at the top, I've reached the, the pinnacle of what it means to be a Christian. I need not grow anymore. No. We must seek to fill every corner of the promised land. We must seek to drive out the sin that still remains. Those even ones that we might call little picadillos of sins. We ought to be disgusted by them within us. And we ought to seek to drive them out as well. Remember the fuel for that is love for Christ seeing the work He has done for us, the mercy and grace which He has given us, having the the, the hope and eternity that we have with Him. To you uh, who are hearing this, who are confronted with sin, um, have maybe found that you are testing your faith and found wanting, Uh, At the moment, you are presently outside of Christ and on your way to hell. But today is the day of salvation. Uh, If you hear the voice of God today, do not harden your hearts. Turn to Christ in repentance and faith. He will welcome you with open arms. 
As I mentioned before, every single one of us have as our sort of first chapters of our life the, the wicked sins of the world, and we all were once on the opposite side of the fight, fighting, fighting for the devil against God, hating our Creator, the one who gave us life, the one who gives us everything, the breath that we're breathing right now. The light that we can see, the eyes that behold the light, that see beautiful things. If you found that you're outside of Christ, turn now. He welcomes the rebellious ones to Himself. He adopts the rebellious one. Makes him His own son and His own daughter. And a word of warning to those confident in their sins. That as I mentioned before, you, you hear, you know what you're doing is a sin. You're confronted by it. You know it's wrong, but you continue on and choose to continue on. Uh, know that the day of eternity is coming. The day of judgment is approaching. Christ's enemies will all be put under His feet. Uh, you do not have to remain an enemy of God. But as it is now, you are running toward the precipice over the mouth of hell. Turn to Christ. And He will welcome you as well. All rebellious ones are welcome. All who see their need are welcome. As we sang in the, the hymn this morning, the hymn, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. The only fitness that He requires of us is to feel our need of Him. To see that we are hopeless, we are helpless, we are unable to help ourselves. We need a Savior. We acknowledge that. We repent from our crimes and our evils against Him and trust that He is able and that He is willing and that He has paid for our sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for instructing us in Your Word. We thank You that You have been loving, gracious, and merciful to us, rebellious, rotten lot. Lord, we thank You that even while so many and all of us were, were straying, Lord, You were constantly and consistently being merciful to us, that You were withholding Your great holy and righteous wrath from us. Lord, I should have been struck down ages ago when I was still in my sin. But You showed mercy and grace to me in Christ. Lord, may You be glorified in saving those uh, whom, you, whom You choose, Lord. May You be glorified in the salvation of the wicked and rebellious. Lord, may we each and every one of us examine ourselves to see if we're truly in the faith. May we not, not one of us be content uh, to say that we, we were baptized or, or that we shook the, the preacher's hand or that we uh, repeated after the right person and, and we got our ticket punched and we, we're on our way to heaven now. May we not be content with, with that, but may we, may we be in a, in a deeper way. May we all be trusting in Christ. May we all be truly, truly saved, belonging to Him. We ask and we pray, Lord, uh, for those who are outside of Christ, who would hear uh, this, Lord, that You would quicken these things to their hearts, 
uh, confront them with the work of God the Holy Spirit, uh, convict them of their sins, bring them to faith in Jesus our Lord. Lord, these things we, we ask and pray through the holy name of Jesus, our Savior, our God. Our near kinsman, our dear friend, our Lord, and our Savior. It is in Christ's holy name that we do humbly pray. Amen.